Well, hey, everybody, this episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, NMI.com. Uh, if you want to learn more about them and their fantastic gateway and omni-channel solutions, head over to ccsalespro.com slash NMI. Patty, I love the episode today. A little more of a complicated topic than we normally try to tackle, but it was yes, really good. Yeah, it was, but it was uh, highly informative. I mean, I came away understanding a lot better about SIC codes and, uh, and how interchange applies. Yeah, for those of you listening that either you, if you don't know how uh, the business type impacts the interchange, definitely this is the one for you. For those of you that do understand that, maybe you have a processing company and you're not aware that the changes Visa made recently will impact the underlying cost structure, the effective rate of interchange because of the SIC code, you need to listen in as well. So that was a good one. And then tell us about the insiders report today, Patty. You know, uh, I bring up gift cards and I know that that's a, that's a tough sell with our audience. For some reason, you know, people don't want to, you know, aren't interested in going out there and selling gift cards. I, I present some data points that, uh, you know, yeah. really drive home the importance of them for ISOs, agents, consumers, merchants, the whole the whole value chain. And yeah. then you had an excellent, uh, your, your questions in the field I found very helpful today. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So it just so happens, and, and usually when I do these, they come from my consulting calls and stuff. And right. I've just lately been talking to a lot of um, call centers and companies that are really trying to just get past the gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. um, even individual agents throughout face-to-face. -face. So I just give some tips on how to get past the gatekeeper over the phone or in person that I really think if you can implement them, uh, you'll see a big uptick in your contact rate. Great, so uh, let's go, James. Let's do it. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, so Patty and I are here today with Kyle Morgan. He is the CEO and head of product at MPI. How are you doing today, Kyle? Doing great. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're really excited about the conversation today because, um, you know, there was this news came out, oh, Visa and MasterCard are delaying their interchange increases. Yeah. And yet we are seeing some interchange increases just in the change in categorization and all that. So we're going to dive into that today and talk about some of the changes that Visa made to recategorize things uh, specifically for restaurants. Before we dive into all that today, though, Kyle, um, give us a little bit of background on your story. I know you've been on before, but tell us a little bit about MPI and kind of how you got into this. Sure. Um, yeah. So background behind me is, um, you know, I started this company uh, 15 years ago. Um, I was a sophomore in college, um, you know, was kind of going to be a teacher, but didn't really like that career path. Found yeah. the space, started learning, started selling, got hooked on residual income. Um, you know, by the time I was going to be a senior, we picked up our first bank partner. Um, so we had a local bank here. They've been a partner of ours for uh, 13 years, started adding a bank or so every two years. Um, we're now at uh, 16 employees, adding two more actually in two weeks. So we, awesome. you know, we've grown the ISO to be national and even international in some situations. And, um, you know, that's kind of our, our nutshell, our, our, our bread and butters, local banks, small banks, stuff like that. Um, sure. But we also do integrations and other things like that as well. Okay. So just, just as an aside, so how many, I mean, you started as a sophomore in college, you look pretty young, but I mean, no, how thanks. many years, how many years are we talking about? That was 15 years ago. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, yeah. You got, it, you got in when it got really, when it got really competitive, when it was really. It uh, was, um, right? oh yeah. I was replacing some of the old, um, the old boxes, the old trans right. 330s is what I was getting out there with. And, uh, right. you know, it was definitely the, uh. The, the beginning of that, but it was during the recession. So yeah. we got yeah. to, you know, sell savings and that was still a, a big thing back then. So, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's, let's dive into this topic today. So Kyle, maybe you could start us off um, and just kind of explain to our audience, you know, how did you or the restaurants start to notice this 
um, issue, and then maybe even put a number on it for our audience of like, sure. how many basis points uh, of, you know, increase in cost are we talking about as a result of these changes to the interchange categorization? Yeah, so it's it's been an interesting kind of to look at. So the reason that we notice it pretty heavily is, so as a company, we do a lot of flat rates. So for us, interchange makes a big difference in our margins. Mm-hmm. So when we start to see our margins shrink, we start going, well, well, what's happening? And yeah. we can usually blame interchange or something on those lines. Yeah. Um, so that's why we first saw the change. We're saying, okay, this restaurant we're making 10 basis points less on. This restaurant we're making 15 basis points less on. You know, So first we go, okay, is our processor doing something funny or is right. something weird happening? So we start to dive in closer. Um, and so what happened around March is the biggest change in that space was that the, you know, the restaurants are, are, are seeing a, a, a shift from a bunch of rewards cards and base level cards to what they call now restaurant two. Now restaurant two, the more I researched it, the more I realized, okay, it was not a malicious thing on Visa side. They thought they were doing some restaurants a favor. They got rid of the 10 cents, but then they raised the base rate to 2.6. So what ended up happening is your small ticket restaurants now saw a benefit of you know 2.6 out of 10 cents great i'm you know my average ticket seven dollars i'm saving right. some money right but right your bigger restaurants that were have a hundred dollar average ticket yeah now saw a 40 basis point swing the other direction they didn't care about the 10 cents right they cared right. about right. The, the the percentages so what we had to start doing was really looking at our portfolio and going okay are the restaurants that are quick service are they on the right sick code for on a restaurant sick code and the restaurants that are you know not would they be better off on a retail sic code or you know, changing the way they're doing tipping so we can move them off that restaurant. So stop seeing a restaurant to interchange. If that all makes sense. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so what exactly is, is, is sort of happening at the restaurants, you know, I mean, you know, in terms of their cost structure. Yeah. I mean, so for the restaurants, um, they're just basically, we're starting with the phone calls now. So spend, we'll, we'll okay. get away from our flat rate merchants. We'll go to the ones that are on interchange plus you know we're getting the phone calls going hey my effective rates up 0.1 0.2 that's about what we're seeing so they're going you raise my rates you know what i mean you raise most of these guys (laughs) don't actually know how to read a statement they just know how to Mm -hmm. aggregate fees right so they get in front of their accountant around october because they're doing their taxes their accountant saying hey last year you paid 2.2 and now you're paying 2.4 you need to go yell at your credit card processor and so we're getting those phone calls going, nope, I, I have my interchange in 20. Their rates haven't gone up, but their effective rate has. Right. Um, and so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing inbound large ticket restaurants. When I say large, I'm, you know, over, over $75 average ticket, you know, fine right. dining, seafood, those kinds of places. Sure. They're calling and going, and, hey, you raised our rates. It's like, mm, no, it's just interchange has gone up for specifically you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Kyle, I think at this point, one of the things we should probably do here is zoom out a little bit and, and talk about SIC code classification. Yeah. Um, sure. Our audience may not even be aware of how this impacts interchange costs, you know, kind of in general. So can you talk a little bit about how this works? What, is, what role does the SIC code play um, in terms of how we're classifying that merchant when we're submitting interchange? And maybe you even have a couple of other examples of unique SIC code classifications that have a big impact on interchange costs. Yeah. So um, SIC code, I mean, I'm sure every agent's always, you know, had that, submit the application and sure. gone, do I have the right SIC code on here? You know what right. I mean? And most of the time it's just one of those things where they're just like, God, I, I just Googled what this business was and right. I put a number down and, I, and my mm-hmm. processor says, nope, that's not valid or that's not one right. that we use or whatever else. So for most agents, that's the, the, the brunt of what they know about SIC codes. Am I putting the right 
by putting a number on there that the, right the prosecutor is going to approve. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, so that's that's the base knowledge of most of our agents in general. Um, but what what a lot of them don't understand is that you know you look at interchange, you're going to see the most common ones you're going to see are supermarket, retail, restaurant, utility, gas station. You know, those are the most common SICs that you're going to see. And if you don't put the person on the right SIC code, they're not going to get the rates associated with those specific situations. Right. Supermarket's a great one. You know what I mean? That's that's one of the more common ones. You have to meet a couple of criterias. Like you have to have a frozen section. You have to have a meat section. You have to have all these things that are requirements to make the supermarket work. Right. But what we have found, even during COVID specifically, we've had a couple of produce stands that now qualify for supermarket, for example. So now they went from retail rates to supermarket rates because they've added frozen deli meat. You know what I mean? They right. they became the local grocery store again because people were afraid to go to Walmart right. or go to the big places. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we've even found situations like that where if you move their SIC code, you're able to save them 40, 50 basis points without even lowering their rates or even raise their rates. And you're still going to show an effective savings or cash discounting or flat rates. Right. You put them in cash discount. Now you've increased your margins as well. Right. right. Let me, if I, could, if I could just interject real quick, I was wondering, Kyle, I mean, this seems to be something that the, the change that Visa did reflects on restaurants. Have there been similar changes in, in other SIC codes? Not that I've seen. Um, you know, again, I think this, this change wasn't malicious. I think this change was the sure. effect to, to appease the fast food. Uh -huh. business right and they really haven't they didn't really think about both sides of the coin yeah yeah i was just um, thinking big supermarkets versus little supermarkets for example yeah so no they're... we haven't really seen much of the other stuff um they okay. did consolidate some of the rewards cards but again they didn't really they didn't raise retail rates they didn't raise supermarket rates they didn't raise realistically they didn't raise, raise anything right? you know raise right, anything right. They actually got rid of a per item on restaurant. It just, right. it just again, it's somebody who's seeing a global view of that visa. Mm -hmm. Right. And when it comes down to real small business merchants, it doesn't necessarily sure. work. Sure. Right. So I want to, I want to do one more kind of zoom out thing here, and then let's yeah. talk about restaurants specifically in this SIC code situation. But so let me restate what I think you just said to, you know, as far as the SIC codes for our audience's benefit. So the idea here is, I go into a, I go to a, um, you know, a food stand, let's say, one week. And I process my card payment and the rate is a, a certain amount. Let's say it's, you know, 2% <clears throat> and that's the interchange rate. And that interchange rate is because of the type of card that I used. Um, but it's also because of the SIC code of that business. And then during that week, they reach out to you and they realize, wait a minute, I could be classified as a supermarket. So you classify them as a supermarket. Now the next week I come back, use the same card, spend the same amount of money and yet, instead of it being 2%, my interchange is now maybe 1.5 or 1.6% effective rate because now when that transaction is submitted, it's saying this is a transaction that was submitted not at a retail store, but at a supermarket. And so the interchange on that card is going to vary based on the SIC code. Is that is that basically what you're saying? Correct. Yeah. So, okay. okay. So what you're saying is it's like, like if James has a reward card yep. and then I've, I'm behind him with just a vanilla card, right? Um it's going to be the it's going to be a different um, interchange, but not because of the SIC code, but because of the card. Well, reverse that. So it's okay. actually because of the SIC code, 
So supermarkets an easy example. What they've done is the rates are very similar to retail, uh-huh. but they put a cap on the transaction. I, I think it's I think it's fifty five cents for okay. credit and thirty five cents for debit because they want these supermarkets. And there's been lawsuits in that space. Sure. I mean, it's, again, it's, it's not a one that we go after a lot, but their associations are really strong. So they've kind of beat up Visa enough right. to say, if I have a supermarket, I get caps on my interchange fees. Okay. And so because of that, if you put that sick code in there, now you're at supermarket, you're getting the same rates as your local grocery store or everything else like that. But Visa does still say you have to have certain thresholds. Otherwise it's not, it's, it's fraud. You can't just go on every retailer. I'm writing, I'm writing supermarket all day long. Sure, like, no, sure. you have to meet the, the right, criteria. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's that situation. Same thing. Another good example is charities. Okay. You put a charity SIC code in. Mm-hmm. All the rewards cards still hit, all the business cards still hit at regular interchange, but debit and regular credit cards are at 0.8%. So you basically have created a, 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 and what Visa's trying to do is incentivize charities to take credit cards. Sure. So they're giving a better interchange for that specific SIC code. Yeah. And that's an easy one for, again, for agents to to do. And and this is a a common mistake for them. Some of them will put a, a, a nonprofit through as an association or, um, you know, a business association like a chamber of commerce. Uh-huh. If you put them through as a charity SIC code, now you get the the lower special, the special rate right. on those credit cards. Right. Right. So this is really good. I think I think again for our audience just to understand, it's like when we talk about interchange, which is a very complicated topic, and it really is like a grid where when you kind of feed a transaction into this grid, they're looking at a lot of different data points mm-hmm. to say. You know, the idea, I, I, the way I explain to people is almost like a cascading effect where it's like, we're going to try to qualify this for the best possible rate. Well, let's see. Is it this? Is it this? No, it's not. Okay. What's the next best rate? And so on down the list, it goes all the way to a downgrade, which yep. basically means it didn't qualify for any of these things. And so it's downgraded. Um, and so, but yeah, to, to, you know, again, to summarize it is for business types, the same card used at a, you know, uh, a retail store versus a supermarket is going to have a different interchange rate, even though it's the exact same card with the exact same transaction amount because it's a different business type. So, so now that we have that piece of it, Kyle, let's zoom back into restaurants. So give us that uh, information again, a little bit, you touched on it a minute ago, but you know, what is this SIC code classification that restaurants are on now that, you know, is kind of hurting them or, or helping them depending on their average ticket size. So maybe you can kind of now zoom in and explain that a bit more. Sure. So, so the biggest thing about a restaurant SIC, so restaurant and bar, you know, very yes. they're only off by a digital SIC code. The main reason you have to put certain restaurants or certain businesses on that SIC code is because you have tip adjust. Yes. And so if you're using tip adjust, they have to be a restaurant SIC. Otherwise you're going to have downgrades. Okay. So if you're, if you're starting with a hundred dollar transaction and you're closing at 120, that's a tip adjust. Um, so if you're in a retail space and you're doing that and you put a tip line on a retailer, they're actually seeing downgrades and interchanges going up. Okay. So let's, let's start first at like, before we dive into like how to save restaurants money, you've got to realize that like, it can't be an adjusted tip. You have to have a restaurant SIC code. So stepping back, you know, one of our customers was a seafood place and they had a tip line and they were selling seafood out of their, you know, they weren't really a restaurant. They were just a truck. Yeah. Bushel of crabs or, you know, thing of clams or whatever but they were giving tips to their employees. They wanted the line there and they, you know, one out of 10 transactions would have the tip on there. So what we were able to do to them is move them back to a retail SIC code. So that saved them 40 basis points. And we put a tip prompt on the terminal now. So now pre-authorization, 
they're asking, okay, did you want to add a tip? Yes or no? Oh, yes. Okay. $2. Boom. So now that $120 transaction is going out at $120, authorizing, batching, settling for the same amount. So now we qualify for retail. So that wouldn't necessarily work in fine dining, but in this situation for a seafood place with a real, I mean, I don't know if anybody, you guys are all Maryland, Pennsylvania, you know, bushels of crabs. Oh yeah. Bushels right now, like $300 nowadays. Days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's insane. So right. this guy, for him to save 40 basis points on a bushel of crabs, wow. yeah, there's right. a big difference. You know so, what I mean? So yeah. we, we went back and fixed that situation. Right. So, right. and again, it's like, I keep wanting to zoom out on this. So this, cause this topic today is so complicated for our audience. I think a lot of it is things they don't understand. So, so let me restate that a, a second and tell me if I missed anything, but you know, the idea here is one of those qualifications to qualify for a certain interchange is that the authorization amount matches the settled amount. Mm -hmm. So when I go to run my card for, you know, a hundred dollars, I'm sitting down at a restaurant, they take my card, they go to the back, they run it for a hundred dollars. They bring me the receipt that's an authorization. So they went ahead and authorized hundred dollars and they got that authorization code. Well, at yep. the end of the day, they're going to settle the transaction and they're going to use that authorization code to say, Hey, we already authorized this transaction. Now we're going to settle it. If the, the settlement amount is different than the authorization amount, that's an important data point. And what I think you're saying here is if you're a restaurant, that's okay. If you're classified as a restaurant, that's okay. Cause that's a tip adjust. If you're classified as a retail and you're trying to get retail interchange rates and you do that, that's going to become a downgrade because one of the qualifications to be considered retail is that your authorization and settlement amounts are going to match. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Okay. So one last topic about this that I kind of want to touch on, and that is pay at the table. Yeah. That's so, a good one. right. So let's say we have a fine dining restaurant and they're experiencing this problem, which as I understand it is that. Now, a lot of these transactions that were going at this base rate of interchange, now they're at restaurant two. So their percentage went up, their pride went down, but that, that's a net negative for them that hurt them, their cost went up. So they're like, hey, that'd be great. I would love to be classified as retail. Um, is it possible to do that with pay at the table so that the authorization and settlement amount are, are the same? Or have you seen that at all? Um, it's, it's funny. This is, I mean, way back before the days of toast, you know, we actually played with this a little bit, you know, debit at the table, pay the table yes. and Jenico had come out with one. They're actually putting them in all the red lobsters. So yes. ironically, we've actually bought a hundred of the red lobster devices because red lobster got rid of it because people were having trouble with it. So, um, <laughs> you know, so the answer is yes, <laughs> in theory, it, it will work. It does work. Um, you have to always have tip prompting. Um, it has to be on the device. It has to be pre-authorization. Right. Um, in reality, I would say, you know, if Red Lobster couldn't get to work, you know, seven or eight years ago, I'm not sure how many people are going to get to work now, but I am seeing more commonly. You are seeing it a little bit with, you know, toast merchants, um, yeah. some of those other systems that are out there that are prompting right. for it. But it comes down to kind of what you've always talked about, about the uh, cash discounting side. You have to train your staff yeah. how to have that conversation right. and not feel awkward going please tip me, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, do you want to like, and do people right. have a weird experience? I mean, there are some restaurant people who are like, that's, that's trashy. I don't want to do it. You right. know what I mean? Like I want to have a tip line because people right. want to write that, you know, right. big flashy tip on there. They don't want to do, you know, so again, yes, the answer is yes, but can you go into a merchant and convince them to change the way they operate tipping to yeah. save them the 40 basis points? That's right. the sales rep. Well, and I think I think one of the other interesting things here is unlike, you know, I've been having more conversations about this with cash discounting because same problem basically, and you know, di different issue, but kind of the same underlying problem, which is when you're doing a cash discount or even a surcharge for that matter, 
you know, you, you have to show the consumer what they're going to pay. And yeah. so you have to calculate it in real time. And so if you want to add the non-cash adjustment or the surcharge to the tip revenue, well, it has to be paid to the table because otherwise you can't do that. You have to be able to calculate it in real time. Right. And what's interesting though, is in that situation, it's not the end of the world. If somebody is like, oh, I don't want to do that. Bring me a receipt. That's fine. And yep. now the the merchant is just eating the the non-cash adjustment on the, the tip revenue. But with this situation, that would be a problem because then that would be a downgrade. Yep. So now they would pay a lot more because they, you know, literally are, you know, if they have, if they're trying to do pay at the table 90% of the time, the other 10% of those transactions are going to be downgraded if they're listed as retail, right? Yeah. And you have that option. I mean, and the other workaround for that restaurant situation is, I mean, some of the softwares have tip out functionality. I know Micros has it. The one that James, you and I have been working on actually has a tip out functionality. You can take the 3% out of the tipped claim amount and still net it out. Now, again, depending on what state you're in, is that legal or not to take that from the server? Right. Um, that's still another issue. Yeah. So, right. Kyle, you know, it seems to me that you, you've, you've had a lot of uh, success um, in the industry. Um, you know, the kind of success that other ISOs and agents are looking for. I'm wondering if you have some advice that you could give uh, those in our industry that maybe have, you know, just a single person ISO or a very small team, you know, that are looking, you know, that are trying to go to the next level. Yeah. Um, and it seems to me, you know, you've, you've accomplished that, as we said, in, in your last 15 years. You know, what kind of advice would you would you offer? Yeah, I mean, so based on today's topic, I would say a niche is always great. So you find an SIC code that you learn really well, you know really well, you know how to do, um, and you go after it because, you know, more, more commonly, these some of these guys aren't set up correctly. You know, mm -hmm. go after government. You know, if you're going after towns and cities and software. Right. Especially with that. Government are often set up as regular moto or regular, you know, Joe Schmo retail and government. And it's government, sure. Yeah, exactly. Lodging. Save them a lot of money that way. Yep. Utility yeah. companies. Mm -hmm. um, charities. Charities are great ones to go after because a lot of them aren't set up correctly. Um, so, you know, our most successful agents are, I, I call my, like, our six-figure agents. They've, they've built up enough revenue. They're making over six figures on a regular basis. They've picked one or two niches. They've gotten involved and done integrations with software. We've helped them do that. They've they've gone after the special interchange where, you know, we, we for another example would be, you know, lodging is another sick code. Sure. If you don't pass lodging data, very similar to like if you don't pass, you know, the whole all three we're talking about, you don't qualify for that. That's another 60 basis points. So we had somebody go in who the software was using authorized.net, which isn't lodging certified. We moved right. them to our gateway, which is lodging certified. And now we've saved every merchant on that portfolio 40 basis points just by converting that over. So anything you can do to come in and show both your expertise in the, mm -hmm. in the space. So SXC code, for example, or integrations or whatever, and then scale that out. You know what I mean? So once you've yeah. done that, now you're the, the lodging expert. expert or the government expert or whatever. And so now the deals start to come to you more organically mm -hmm. and a little less, let me go knock on a hundred doors today. Right. Um, and that's what you want to do. I mean, the first two years in this industry are always, feet on the street, learn the space, make the mistakes, get out there and do it. Right. But if you want to be in that upper six figures, you know, upper 100s, you got to find a niche and you got to, you got to build your, your, your inbound flow. And so you don't have to spend all your time knocking on doors. Oh yeah. Fantastic advice. advice. Fantastic advice. Great so advice. 
Kyle, I know you guys are always looking for new partners. Um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you guys have gone nationwide. Um, tell our audience a little bit about MPI, maybe what you're looking for in partners today, and then also give us some contact information of where our audience should go if they want to learn more about you or about MPI. Sure. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so we have we have uh, on our side our agents. You know, most of our agents are industry experts. Um, you know, they've they've been in the space for a while, so we don't have a big training program for new agents. Um, but if they've been in the industry a while, but maybe they want to help with a lot of integration work. Um, that's been kind of our big thing. We've been doing about one or two software integrations a month right now. So if there's anybody who's an agent out there who's just like, I can do merchant, but I really need help with like putting my stuff in software or getting or talking software. Those are the agents we're looking for right now. So a contact for us, um, sales at mpiprocessing.com. That's Mercantile Processing Inc. So MPI. Uh, processing or just go to mpiprocessing.com, fill out a contact form. Um, you know, uh, our director of sales, Katie, uh, she's really good. She came from integrated play, you know, so those are the, those are the agents we're looking for, the partners we're looking for. So anybody in that software space, that just needs to make the payments experience better. You know, that's what we're looking for. Great. Awesome. Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk about this uh, rather complicated subject. I think a lot of the larger companies are thanking you already. Uh, the smaller <laughs> ones are like, hey, this is the kind of person I need to be talking with more often. So I appreciate you taking the time. So Patty, of course, our official sponsor, NMI. Uh, you can head over to ccsalespro.com slash NMI to learn right. more. But I thought after our interview uh, with MPI and talking to Kyle, such a great time to talk about this concept that NMI has coined the next gen ISO. Yes. Um, we even created a uh, merchant sales insight around that topic. But, you know, kind of the concept here is, you know, if you want to become an ISO that's going to get to the next level, the next generation type of ISO that's not going to be come out of date. Mm -hmm. Well, technology is going to have to play a role in what you're right. doing. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to have an army of developers. I mean, that doesn't hurt. But if oh. you don't have your own army of developers, or if you do, it's a good idea to have a technology partner that's able to integrate with various softwares right. that's, you know, certified for all these different things that you need. And NMI has really become the market leader at becoming really that technology company that specializes in working with ISO sales organizations in the industry mm -hmm. to really become that next generation ISO. Yeah. And the next gen, you know, like, like we found out in our interview today, you know, the next gen ISO has to really be thinking ahead, yes. you know, and, uh, and and being able to partner with a, have an integration partner that is also thinking ahead yeah. um, is a winning formula. Awesome. So head over to ccsalespro.com slash NMI. Uh, fill out that little form there, learn more about it. I've got a really exciting uh, event, actually a webinar I'm going to be doing with NMI coming up soon. So uh, stay tuned for more news on that, but uh, really excited about that sponsorship. And uh, appreciate everybody taking time to head over there and check it out. Yeah, thanks, Ben. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard.
So Patty, one thing that every agent will understand as a challenge is getting past the gatekeeper. <clears throat> you know, whether that gatekeeper is over the phone, you're talking to an employee, you're trying to get to the, the owner, or you walk into a business, you're talking to someone, you're trying to get to the to the owner. And so I just want to give a couple of tips today that um, I found to be really successful. In fact, um, you know, there, I'll be honest. I mean, there's a lot of times I share topics where I feel like I have the expertise to share the topic because of my connection to sure. other experts that I've learned from, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, then there are things where I feel like this is an area where I, on my own, have my own level of expertise. And this is definitely one of those things. Yes. Um, I, I would say- I've heard I, you give uh, give uh, lessons on this and I, uh, yeah. you're really good at it. <laughs> well, and, and one of my favorite things to do, um, you know, I used to do a lot more of the live sales training events right. mm -hmm. um, at companies. Now I find myself more in the boardroom than in the training events, but I still do some of that, but you know, one of my favorite things to do was to call people on speakerphone. Right. And you know, one of the things that the agents would always be surprised at after that session, when I would say, okay, what did I do that you had questions about? Um, they would always be like, how in the world do you like get past every single gatekeeper, you know? Um, and so I, I really believe I have some advice that will help you. So let's talk about the phone because the phone versus in person is very, very different. Sure. So when you're on the phone, there's really only two keys that you need to understand to get past the gatekeeper. Um, you know, number one is don't ask for the decision maker. Right. You ask for the decision maker, you are not going to get them. It's very difficult. So um, remove the line, is the owner or manager available? Just remove right. that line from your vocabulary, from your script. Don't ever use that. Instead, you want to ask a question um, that only the decision maker would know the answer to. Mm. Right. So you'd say, um, you know, the reason I'm calling today is that my company has uh, come up with some proprietary technology. And uh, we're actually able to eliminate payment processing costs. If we're selling cash discounting, you know, we eliminate right. payment processing costs. And so I'd like to talk to you a little bit about if you're still paying uh, payment processing fees and how you have that structured. So if I say something like that, and I'm talking to uh, someone who's not the decision maker, mm -hmm. they are not going to be able to you know, communicate with me about that. Sure. So they are right. immediately going to say, you know, I'm the wrong person to speak to about that, you know they're going to indicate that I'm not talking to the decision maker. So sure. I don't need to ask for the decision maker. I need to ask a question that only the decision maker could engage with me on. Um, and then key number two is just speed. Okay. The way to get past the gatekeeper is to be more prepared at getting around them than they are at blocking you. Mm -hmm. And so you mm -hmm. have to be quick, very, very quick. So uh, it's very simple actually, but the idea is when they say to you, well, um, you know, they're not uh, the, you know, I'm not the uh, right person. I'm not the right person. You want to talk to, to, you know, somebody else. So the first thing you got to do is find out the name of the person you want to speak to. Right. And again, we want to use speed. So right. we're going to very quickly say, Oh, who does handle that? Who should I speak to? Just quick. Don't drag it out. Don't say like, Oh, I totally understand. And I really appreciate it. Um, is there someone I could speak to that would be the right person to talk with about this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, you just gave them way too much time to think of their excuse, which is right. going to be, well, actually that person's not available. Right. right? Sure. And actually they're standing 50, you know, five feet away. Right. <laughs> so instead you go quick and you say, oh, sure. Who handles that? Who would I talk to about that? It's quick. So then they give you the name. Well, that would be Susan. That would be Bill. Usually when they give you that, they're then going to follow it up with the excuse. They're going to say, well, that would be Susan, but she's not available. She's in the back. She's not here today. Right. So right. what you have to do is as politely as you can, you have to cut them off. And fast. So, yeah. And quick, <laughs> very quick. So they say, um, yeah, you probably want to talk to Susan about that. Oh, is she in? 
right? Just quick. Don't let them say the next part. Um, right. Yeah. You know, Bill, I think would be the person for that. Oh, great. Is he there? Right. Right. Just quick. And so they won't a lot of times be able to, uh, you know, get around that. Then when they confirm it, and again, they're about to give another, they're trying to keep trying to give you the excuse, right? But you're too mm-hmm. fast for them. So they're going to say, well, yeah, she's here. You know, she's in the back. And then they're about to say, but she's working on something or I'll take a message or whatever. But again, we don't let them do that because we're faster than they are. Right. Right. And so what we do is we thank them. Okay. Why are we thanking them? We're thanking them for getting them on the phone for us, which they haven't done yet. But people, it turns out when you get thanked for something, it's very hard for you to not do the thing that you already got thanked for. Right. People like being thanked. It's a psychological thing. So. They say, uh, yeah, you know, Susan, I, she's in the back. Oh, awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'll hold. Uh. And so you didn't ask them to go get the person. You just said, thank you so much. I'll hold. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, sometimes what will happen is the gatekeeper will be so surprised by all of this that they won't even know <laughs> what to do. Right. And they'll pause for a second and then they'll say like, uh, well, well, no, I mean, uh, she's she's busy, and then they'll try to get this excuse in in the back. And no matter what they say there, um, you just go back to the I'll hold, and you just thank them again. And you just say, oh, I understand. I'm in no rush. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'll hold. I'll hold. Yep. And when you do that, you know, most salespeople I've worked with, they have a hard time with that. They just can't. They don't have the self-confidence or something to right. pull that off. Right. But if you can pull that off, extremely effective. Um, so over the phone, it's about getting, you know, not asking for the the person, get the name of the person that you need to talk to and then use speed to get past the decision maker. Um, When you're in there face-to-face, very, very similar. But I think the one big difference when you're face-to-face is that your confidence level is really going to dictate your contact rate. Sure, sure. Um, And people don't seem to understand that when I talk to agents and they're like, you know, I just can't, I can't seem to ever get in touch with a business owner. You know, no one's ever there that I need to talk with. And when they say that, I always intuitively know that the problem is their confidence level, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, imagine if the governor of the state that you live in was walking into businesses to talk with business owners, right? Um, how many business owners do you think he would be able to talk to? You know, all of them, of course. All of them. He walked into 10. Why? Because they would get the business owner on the phone if they weren't there. You know, like mm-hmm. you, they would talk to every business owner. Now we might not be able to get quite to that level, but we can get pretty close. And the idea is when you walk in, you want to be the kind of person that they are the business owner is going to want to talk to. And so right. you want to be the kind of person that seems important enough that the employees say, I don't want to get in trouble for not introducing, you know, the business owner to this person. So when you walk into a business, walk in, use humor, whatever you need to just come out of your shell and to be over the top confident, you know, Hey, how's everybody doing today? Great, great. Hey, my name is James Shepard. And I don't think I've ever been in here before. How long have you guys been at this location? Eight years. Oh my goodness. That is fantastic. Well, congratulations on your success. Um, the reason I stopped by today and then you go into it. And right. so you right. want to have, you know, you want to be confident. You want to come out of your shell. And then when they talk to you and say, oh, you know, I'm not the right person to speak with about that. Oh, that's no problem at all. You know, um, who should I talk to? Who's the, who's the person, right. you right. know, you got to be over the top confident in order to pull all this off. And so a lot of the same things work. I like to use the same thing, the speed speed's not as important here because they can't hang up on you, but right. You do want to jump in there. Don't let them say something you don't want them to say. And don't um, let them turn their backs on you. 
Exactly. Yep. Right. Um, and so you do want to kind of be in that moment. Um, but most importantly, face to face, but getting beyond that uh, gatekeeper, it's definitely about the confidence. You know, I would I would add to this, James, that a really good thing to do would be to to practice with role playing and not with your husband or wife or your kids. Find somebody else like a neighbor or a friend, you know, that sure. that, that you can be, you know, that, that you can really, you know, if you're dealing with your husband or wife, they're always going to go, oh, yeah, OK, you're good. You did right. that good, honey. Somebody will push back on you. Right. Somebody that's going to give you a little pushback. I would really recommend that too. Yeah, absolutely. Role-playing is always crucial. And, and I'll tell you uh, one thing you can do is even, even if you don't have somebody and you want to role-play, you can always role-play with yourself by using voice notes right. um, on your phone uh, and just record yourself. And, and you can't really role-play per se, but you can record your lines and play them back and try to try to tweak them. Try to refine them, them and everything. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So there you Good go. Stuff, right. Just trying to get past the gatekeeper. Thanks. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. You know, we haven't spoken a lot about um, gift cards lately, James. I know you recently published a uh, Merchant Sales Insight um, that was obviously right. jam-packed with insights on um, sure. on selling uh, gift cards. But today, I sort of want to give uh, some uh, data points that sort of really drive home um, why ISOs and agents should be thinking about selling gift cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and this it comes from uh, basically, I think it's like three different sources. So I'm going to start off with Fiserv. Okay. Um, I did a lot of this research for the green sheet on an article I think that's coming out. It should post when next week. So you okay. know, if you want to get more detail, that's in there. Sure. And I think I even quote you. But um, from Fiserv, I discovered from research they've done, 58% of consumers plan to give gift cards during the year-end holiday season. And that's up from about 42% in 2020. Oh, wow. That's a big increase. That's a big increase. Here's the thing that really struck me. 74% of consumers purchase gift cards from small businesses, not from the big chains. Wow. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Um, 90% of people who receive a gift card from a small business that they've never shopped at would indeed go shop at the business to redeem the the, uh, gift card value, but also make future uh, shopping trips there sort of wow. like opens it up to yeah. you know, a new opportunity. Huh. Um, consumers on average, consumers receiving gift cards uh, spend on average $50, $59 more than the value that's on the cards. Wow. And supermarkets have the biggest lift. Uh, consumers spend about 94% more than the value on the cards. Mm. Of course, having gone grocery shopping recently, I can understand that. I mean, yeah, of course. Know, uh, digital e-cards are a huge innovation, especially since the COVID pandemic. Uh, as uh, uh, Laura Hanley, an analyst at Mercator Advisory Group, no- noted to me recently. Um, but these are not cannibalizing plastic card usage. In fact, an advisor of exec told me um, it's very additive, the digital wow. cards are. Huh. And um, 53% of consumers have paid for purchases using gift cards in their digital wallets. Wow. 
which may which makes according to Fiserv's research makes gift cards the third most popular payment instrument in digital wallets. Now, what what does that even mean? I've never done that before. I haven't either. And, and what he said was, you know, basically you add the card. Huh. I, I need to do more research on that. I've never done that. I didn't even know that was possible. I had never done it either. Not that I use digital wallets a lot, but I do occasionally right. use well, my digital wallet. Apparently we're now in the minority that we haven't done this. We so. haven't done this because I do yeah. gift cards all the time. I'm one yeah. of those people that buys them for myself yeah. you know, to get points from right. my grocery store, you know? Right. Huh. So, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I had not realized that. And uh, so, and here's a couple data points from Blackhawk, you know, which is the big gift card company. Um, 91% of consumers have purchased gift cards. Uh, 69% of them or 69% of consumers have purchased cards for themselves. So I'm not in the minority now in that one. I'm on the majority on that okay. one. 87%, of course, uh, you know, a higher percentage, 87 purchased them as gifts. Right. But there's uh, and then finally, um, a consumer poll by the online site bankrate.com really drives home the cash flow advantages to merchants um, of selling gift cards. 51% of consumers forget to use money gifted to them on gift cards, whether they be electronic or, sure. or plastic. And combined, these Americans are leaving $15.3 billion on the table or an average of $116 per person. And that was this year. And last year, it was $167 per person. Wow, that's crazy. Isn't Goodness. that crazy? I mean, that's basically free money to the merchants. I mean, no. depending on the state laws. I mean, state laws, there are some state laws. That, right. right. <clears throat> I mean, but, either uh, way, it's it's called it's called float. Yeah. Right. And so um, regardless of state uh, regulations, it is cash flow. Right. Um, what you do with that cash flow and how you redeem future purchases and all of that is is regulated right. to some extent. But either way, I mean, and how you claim it as income or whether you right. have to hand it to um, over to the state for uh, what do they call that uh, escrow? It's not an escrow, is it? You know, when you um, I don't remember the name now, but I can't. Escrow is the, the right idea. I don't remember yeah, the it's the right idea, but it escapes the right name escapes me at this point. Right. But it's basically a a pool of funds that the state holds until people claim them. Right. 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 I have some friends who've actually done that. And it's like, you know, 10 years after their parents died, they realize there's all this, all this money that's sitting in this fund, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, it's like, Oh, I can get that money. Right. <laughs> you know? right. Wow. So, so interesting. Yeah. I, it'll be very interesting to see how it develops. I know that COVID really gave gift cards a huge bump, huge bump. So. And, um, and, you know, I mean, I just think it's one of those things I was noticing when we were just talking to Kyle. He had his sign out, you know, behind him for his company. And it was yeah. like, you know, payments, payroll, gift cards, you yes. know. And yes. uh, yep, I think that, sure. you know, people should really be pushing that because it's, uh, it's a good deal for consumers, for merchants, and for the ISOs and agents. Love it. Great stuff as always, Patty. Thanks, James. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.